she is constantly making concessions mm-hmm. through the movie in order to have a measure of success yeah. in a man's world. What was published the same year as Little Women? Do you know? No. No, of course you don't know. You know why? <laughs> it hasn't fucking endured the same way. Yeah. It's resonated for goddamn 150 years, and it's still not good enough. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hi, I'm Lainey Louie. I'm the founder of LaineyGossip.com, and I'm a talk show host and an entertainment reporter, and I am currently obsessed with Korean and Chinese dramas. Like, obsessed. I'm Duanna Taha. I am a screenwriter and producer as well as a writer on LaineyGossip.com. And I now will have no reason to tell anybody that I thought Eddie Murphy's movie was called The Lemony is my name. (laughs) Today we are talking about Eddie Murphy not getting nominated for an Oscar. All the Oscar snubs and in particular, the big snub over the Little Women. And then... From one archaic institution to another archaic institution, we move to the royal family and the drama with Harry and Meghan wanting to make their royal escape. That was a real nice transition. Thank you. This is Show Your Work. Okay, Beyond. Every time you draft a tweet, yes, do you hope that it goes viral? Um, not always. Sometimes I just am being a writer who's alone in the room being like, I made it funny, like, and I'm happy with the 13 people who, but I definitely have tweets where I think that there was not justice for that tweet. (laughs) Or, and, and conversely, somewhere I'm like, this, this, you guys are going nuts over, but yes, go on. Well, we're all really excited today because our friend Kathleen... Yes. Posted a tweet, and it has gone mega viral. It's gone mega viral. As of right now, 44,000 likes. It showed up everywhere um, in Oscar reaction updates and articles on CNN, which is where Yasik saw it. And that was enough to impress Yasik. Like, something showing up on CNN was... Like, now he sees Kathleen in a different light. Put it that way. Yasik is all of our dads, is what you're saying. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) Yes. But what does it take for a tweet to go viral? Well, I mean, you've had it happen. I've had moments of things. It's like, it's the perfect, not just the perfect thought, but it's the perfect thought at the perfect time. But I don't think I've had a tweet go this viral. Like, I may have a thousand likes on a tweet, maybe even one point. Five, but 44,000 is a moment. I mean, also, this is a particular Kathleen skill, right? Like, yes. it's the perfect thought at the perfect moment. Um, yeah, people are even following me because they've seen me tweet at Kathleen and they're like, can we get a little of that refracted glory? You know? That's right. Um, 
So anyway, that should be a work thing in these times. Not that we're all so thirsty to go viral. I'm not saying, you know, take your tits off or, I mean, show your tits or whatever. Sorry, but- take your tits off? <laughs> I, I want to go back there. But writing something that is so pithy and quickly uh, that people notice and start sharing it and it gets you some attention. As a writer, we all are, and Kathleen is a writer, it is a deal. It, she isn't here to answer for it, but it is a deal. No, it for sure is a deal. Um, partly because nobody, like, here's the thing. You said when you draft a tweet and the whole thing about Twitter, I'm a holdout on Twitter. I still like it. It still has moments of glory like this one. 7,500 retweets is is no small thing. But the thing is, you can always tell when somebody labored over one for hours and hours. Yeah. The best ones are just from your brain yeah. through like TweetDeck or whatever we're using now without thinking about it too much. And that's the beauty of it. That's when it's a deal because you know it was just you being your own self. Yeah. Or the ones that are like, hey, here are the seats on a subway. Which is your favorite to sit on, which is a thing that went viral last week. Yeah. I mean, I had opinions about that that weren't necessarily the same as some other people. So, yeah. One of my favorite ones was, and I wish I had come up with it. It was maybe a couple of years ago. um, And a woman, I think, was like, this is what happens when you try to take off a sports bra. Oh, I didn't see that one. (laughs) And it's so true. They're impossible to take off. I exclusively wear sports bras. Yeah, you do. Um. And especially after you've worked out, you cannot take a sports bra off. I mean, it was just so relatable. Um, And yeah, those are the ones where I bet you the person who was tweeting it was just like, fuck, why is this just so hard? Let me grab my phone and I'm going to tweet this out. Right. And without thinking about it too much or trying to make their moment. No. I also think if you're trying to make your moment, then you know that it's not really a thing. I was going to tell you, and I actually was sort of half thinking about what the tweet would be, but it wasn't right. Um, I'm sitting here today uncomfortable. And the reason I'm sitting here uncomfortable is because I'm wearing new jeans Mm -hmm. that are super ass high-waisted. Yeah. And I'm wearing these high-waisted new jeans. To break them in? Exactly. Yes. Because I know I'm just going to be sitting down and you don't care what uncomfortable poses I'm in. No. And so there was something I was like, you know, is there, yeah, is there a gift that implies like what your organs do after yeah. you take off tight gym? And it didn't, it didn't work. The yeah. moment had passed. So, um, yes, huge respect to when something like this happens, but you can't, you cannot engineer it into being. Well, congratulations, Kathleen. And I mean, finding you know, the magic sauce. Congratulations to the assist from Isa, who I know has seen it by now. To Issa Rae, whose uh, face appears to illustrate Kathleen's point. And also to John Cho, who looked about 15 years old today. You know what? Yeah, true story. We are, of course, recording on Monday, uh, the day that the Oscar nominations have been announced. Um, but I don't think we're going to feel any differently two days from now. I mean, you, it, it, <laughs> I don't, it's not the best screen cap of John Cho. I think he looked very handsome, but that's not the shot that you're holding up no, beside your face. I get it. He 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 doesn't have a, a great expression on this particular shot that we're taking, but his skin is still like childlike, just came out of, of the womb. Right. It's it's unreal. How is he so handsome and young looking? I love you, John Cho. 
That was like the best part, I think. It was Issa and John Cho. I quite like them together. I No, I thought it was really, I thought it was great. Um, although before we dig into the Oscar nominations, we're going to talk about, you know, what happened and the obvious snubs and the bigger sort of issues that have come out of it. But first, I have to just get a little bit of justice for my girl. Because Issa said the the thing that made Kathleen tweet, the tweet that made the image that created the meme that got the thing that blah, 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 was uh, congratulations to those men, right? <laughs> Referring to… Yes. Uh, the all-male nominations list for Best Director at right. the Oscars. But I just have to say, justice for Kiki Palmer, who created the sorry to this man phrasing and construction this summer um, when she was doing press for Hustlers, mm-hmm. which you didn't see also in the Oscars. I'm just saying a lot of people say it. Sorry to this man. Sorry to that man. Congratulations to those men Without properly tipping a hat to Kiki Palmer, Kiki, I love you. Congratulations to those men. So, here we are. Oscar nominations 2020. You and I know what we're doing in a month now. We know the candidates, the people we'll be writing about. Yep. All the movies you thought you didn't really have to care about are Mm -hmm. now the ones that you have to study up on again. That's right. Um... Some of the people we were excited about to see there will not be there. Uh, What do you think that is? If you were really supposed to get a nomination, everybody kind of thought it was going to happen, and you get a real ass snub, how do you spend the party? Like, how do you do the Oscars? Well, are you going? Oh, I'm… No, of course not. No, like if I am… uh, Lupita Nyong'o, for yeah. example, who should have gotten a nomination, kind of knew she wasn't going to, like it wasn't a real thing, right? Do or, you go to the Vanity Fair party? Or Taron Edgerton. Oh, no, you definitely don't go. So, I don't think. So J-Lo, Lupita, yeah. Aquafina, and yeah. Taron yes. are not going to the Vanity Fair party. What I'm wondering is, do you rent out the entire like top floor of a hotel and have like a loser's party? where you all sit around in sweats together and you're like, fuck all y'all, ha ha. Like- well, what's interesting is that there has emerged over the last couple of years um, an annual, you know, like Madonna always has the Oscar party and there are certain people who always have an after party. Sure. Well, over the last two years, a couple, there's a high profile couple that has started a tradition of having an Oscar party that would be Beyonce and Jay-Z. Mm-hmm. Um. So I wonder, I would not put it past our queen to somehow try and make her party better than the Oscars. In fact, it already is. I mean, I like where you're going here. Like how the Vanity Fair party used to have kind of a, not a novelty guest, but like somebody that was sort of the, that needed the invite as a sort of a balm to their year, right? Or how it used to be the party to go to, and now it's the party you go to before you go to the one that matters. Yes. Or if you can't go to the better party, if you didn't score an invite to Elton John or similar. Yeah. But uh, but yeah, I like that they're like, listen, come on over to our house. Uh-huh. I'm really into that idea. No photographers. We don't promote this. Whatever happens here just happens here. Like, I don't know how she does it. Or I guess we have to give some credit to Jay-Z a little bit, maybe, whatever. But these parties of hers, lots of people go. We don't see many 
Like, we don't see many things come out on social media about these parties. Nothing. I anyway. bet they lock down the phones. I bet they do that thing with those, like, digital bags that lock your phone away from you. Yep. You get to carry it with you, but you can't actually use it. Yep. I would do that for Beyonce. Of course of I course, would. Of course. All of them would do it for Beyonce. None of them would do it for anybody else. Even Reese Witherspoon <laughs> would do it for Beyonce. <laughs> like, it's been a busy week. There's been a lot going on. But, uh, yeah, Reese Witherspoon's sort of fangirling of Beyonce and Jay-Z post-Golden Globes was a small, bright spot yeah. in the endless week that it's been and continues to be. So let's get to it. Oscar nominations, Oscars almost so white. Uh, much of the conversation, again, has been about how women's stories are not represented and when they are represented, the storytellers who are women are not properly recognized. No matter which angle we take to go into this story, um, there's there's no women there. Like, there's nothing to be said. There's no yeah. women. There's no people of color, which is not to erase the people of color that there are, but the representation is not in any way what we would call proportionate, mm-hmm. dare I say diverse. Yeah. Um, but no matter which angle you get at, there's there's no way. No. So... I want to start with Greta, and I want to start with Greta Gerwig and Little Women because this has been something we've wanted to discuss for a couple of weeks now. Last week, we didn't do it, or we tabled it because we knew Oscar nominations were coming out today, and we wanted to talk about this whole thing with Little Women and their difficulties in getting um, SAG screeners and Oscar voters to come to the screenings. Before the film opened and after the Golden Globe nominations were announced, Amy Pascal, the producer, did give an interview um, in Vanity Fair during which she confirmed that, yes, uh, Oscar voters, SAG voters were not coming to the screenings, which is something that we had heard about Queen and Slim too. The producers, the directors, the team of Queen and Slim was saying, we hosted three screenings for Golden Globe, Hollywood Foreign Press Association members, They did not come, and the same thing was happening to Little Women, where voters were saying, oh, this is a chick flick. This this movie is for girls, and they weren't coming. But it still killed at the box office. Of course it did. And it killed at the box office. Like, look, if I was being the most generous to people I don't want to be generous to, I'd be like, okay, it's... It's not a story that you don't know in the sense that it still has Meg, Joe, Beth, and Amy. It is therefore Little Women by Louisa May Alcott, right? It's not a, it's not a reimagining. We know that it is in so many different ways, but I can see people going, eh, I know what that story is. I'm going to choose some other thing. Right. But that doesn't account for Queen and Slim. That doesn't account for these other films that we're talking about with this, it just, it's, it's, it just is maddening as soon as you say that phrase out loud. Like yeah. I wanted to say it and know it and acknowledge it, right? Yeah. It's an adapted screenplay. It comes from a story that a lot of people know. Maybe they think they got it the first time uh, that they saw it when they also would have thought it was a chick flick. Yeah. Circa Winona Ryder and, Sar- and Susan Sarandon. But uh, yeah, I retract my interjection because there's no way to point that out without making myself mad. Yep. And also when you consider that like they were willing multiple times to sit in a theater or at home almost four hours for The Irishman, which 
hey, it was directed by Martin Scorsese. It stars De Niro, Pesci, Al Pacino. Hey, this is something you've never seen before. Oh, my God. Like, it's actually… This is a fresh new story. We're breaking new ground here. Um, Okay, so Greta Gerwig, Her Little Woman, one of the most critically acclaimed films of the year, and attracts an audience. So the critics like it. The people like it. The acting is great. There are two acting nominations representing the film in Saoirse Ronan and Florence Pugh. She gets an adapted screenplay nomination. She is left off the list for Best Director. Yep. I mean, <laughs> I, I, yep. Um, yeah. I, should I let people know what uh, Sersha and um, Florence's responses were? Yeah, I mean, I think, I guess we got to contextualize that slightly, which is to say, even the fact that they have responses is not usually a thing that happens. Is that true? If you get nominated, obviously, you say, oh my gosh, and thank you to my director and the cast and the blah, 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 whatever. But if you are nominated, they don't usually say, what do you think about that snub, eh? Yeah. And to be fair, maybe they didn't. Sure, let's read those statements. Sersha, I'm really happy that the Academy… Hey, maybe you should read it in an Irish accent. Oh, my God. I mean, I don't want to uh, minimize her, her like, fire here, but if there's anybody who could be angry in a, in a clipped and grammatical way, it's Irish people. Go so, for it, please. Sure, let's try this. Ready? With yeah. apologies to Saoirse Ronan. <laughs> I'm really happy that the Academy recognized Greta Gerwig for adapted screenplay and picture. And I feel like if you've been nominated for Best Picture, you've essentially been nominated for Best Director. But to me, Greta, since she started, has made two perfect films. And I hope that when she makes her next perfect movie, she gets recognized for everything because I think she's one of the most important filmmakers of our time. Again, uh, that stopped being Saoirse Ronan somewhere in there and became Dairy Girls, but uh, (laughs) I, I appreciate the opportunity. And now this is Florence Pugh. Remember, this is Florence Pugh's first Oscar nomination. Sersha has been nominated, what, four, five times? Like, lots. Sersha has been nominated for four Academy Awards, and she is 25 years old. That's right. That's before we get into BAFTAs and Golden Globes and whatever. But yeah, she is a major player. You said BAFTAs in an Irish accent, by the way. Um, BAFTAs. (laughs) So Florence is, this is her first. She, of course, plays Amy. This has been uh, an amazing couple of years for Florence Pugh. If you guys haven't seen Midsummer, uh, see it. She's incredible. She is such a talent. So again, establishing that this is her first time, for most people, it's exciting, right? Like, it's my first time. I want to impress the Academy. Oh my goodness, they recognize me. This is what Florence Pugh decided to say. I think everybody's angry, and quite rightly so. (laughs) I can't believe it's happened again, but I don't really know how to solve it. I don't know what the answer is, other than we're talking about it. <laughs> Florence. Florence knows she's not going to win. I mean, Laura Dern's going to win the supporting category. But this is, like, it's pretty fucking cool to not be um, obsequious, to not be overly grateful and appreciative, and just to be like, yeah, this fucking sucks, and we're angry. Why can't we all just get along, is what you expect from a first-time 24-year-old yeah. actress yeah. from… Uh, yeah, nowhere here is 
it's an honor just to be nominated. Yeah. Like, that's not what this is. Yeah. Everybody's calling this out. Here's why they're calling it out. First of all, can we say um, little women in and of itself? I People love it. People don't love it. They know the story. Greta Gerwig's Little Women made me fall in love with Amy March for the first time. Yes. Right? This is no disrespect to 1994. Everybody loves that movie. And I love Kirsten Dunst. You kind of won't find a bigger Kirsten Dunst fan than me, but that's Kirsten Dunst, not Amy March, who fundamentally has been known to suck. Mm -hmm. Right? Yeah. Like, we know this. But she became three-dimensional. She became a person. She became a woman Mm -hmm. who was after her own economic security and was pragmatic and got to say all the things that maybe Amy March thought in the text, but that never actually came off the page. Right? Yep. Greta Gerwig made Joe March into the person who didn't have to just get married at the end because she had to. Right? She liberated that character. Yep. All of these things are me talking about Greta Gerwig's adapted screenplay nomination, but they also don't work unless they're brought to the screen. That's right. And understood to be of its time and of now. I mean, there is a telling of Little Women that is right for 1994, and there's a telling of Little Women that is right for 2019, 2020. And what I'm trying to say is that only Greta could have done that. Well, and that now was the time for it, right? We talked a lot, I think, on this podcast and in our lives about coming out of Lady Bird, even though, to Florence Pugh's point, it happened back then, too, which is to say Greta was completely ignored for a movie that somehow got to be nominated for Best Picture. Um, She could have chosen to do so, so many things. But this is the movie she chose, and she chose it because, as you say, Mm -hmm. there was a reason to tell this story right now. Perhaps because there was a dearth of pictures about women. I don't know. Well, if you go up and down that list, there's not that much um, on the best picture list for women, for stories that are centered around women, for stories where women aren't in secondary roles. The leading three films this year are Joker, in terms of a number of nominations, Mm -hmm. Joker, Irishman, Mm -hmm. and 1917. Yes. So, the end. Yeah. (laughs) Oh, sorry. Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. Uh Uh-huh. I mean, again. Yeah. Uh, (laughs) Correct. All of the things that we're not saying in the spaces of frustration. Yeah, only almost because you go, well, if I say it now, is it going to make a difference? If we say what we've been saying all this time, that people don't pay attention because it's a girl's movie, that people don't pay attention because they think it's easy or sweet, or that somehow those stories aren't that important. Like, when is it going to become a time when it's going to, you know, where what we rant about is going to matter. And here I'll read a tweet by Franklin Leonard. Um, He says, Tomorrow a bunch of folks will try to make the argument that the Academy doesn't decide which movies get made each year, which is true, but never forget that almost everyone who does decide which movies get made directly and indirectly is in the Academy. 
Yes, absolutely. That's the Venn diagram, right? That's right. They are voting members of the Academy, uh, which on some level is double dipping, right? Yeah. If I made this movie happen, if I financed it because I heard the pitch and I thought it was great and I gave Quentin Tarantino or Sam Mendes or whoever a bajillion dollars, you think I'm not then going to vote for my own movie? Mm -hmm. Of course I am. Yep. And yes, it cuts both ways. Uh, Amy Pascal is a voting member of the Academy. But there are so many more of them, right? Yep. And yet, uh, I mean, it doesn't do anybody any good to get bitter and grumpy, uh, but it's so nice to indulge in it for a while. I loved reading those statements from Florence Pugh and Sarah Ronan, especially because we're going to read Greta Gerwig's statement in a minute, at least in part. But it feels so nice not to pretend it's not happening not to sweep it under the rug. Can I ask a self-serving question? Yeah. When we saw Saoirse Ronan at the Golden Globes, which was almost an exact replica of this situation in that... uh, She was the only representative of her film. That's right. That Greta Gerwig was once again not nominated for Best Director and also not nominated uh, for Best Adapted Screenplay. Yeah. I said that her overall sort of ethos was that she seemed over it. Like, screw you guys for fucking us over. Yeah. Do we now think with the benefit of hindsight that I was right? I do. I mean, I thought you were right then and I do think you're right now. I think that they, I think they knew it all along given Amy Pascal's statement to Vanity Fair uh, prior to the release of the film when they were like, we have tried to invite Academy members, SAG voting members to come to the screening. So I think they had some idea when you know who's coming to your screenings and you're mounting an Oscar campaign and certain people aren't showing up. I mean, this is a science for them, right? There's a whole industry for Oscar campaigns and strategists and they know what to look for. They know what numbers that pop up to tell you if you're riding the horse in the right direction, as you would say, Mm -hmm. or if something's not working and you have to shake things up. So they knew. I think that they were well aware as a team. And Given that the film reached an audience, theaters were packed over the holidays, the film was doing better than its projections at the box office, that was kind of their, you know, fuck you moment. We we have this. You don't have to give us the award, but clearly the people love it. And I don't think that they had any higher expectations than that going forward. I mean, maybe that is, that's a very sort of, That's a great mindset to have, Um, and I appreciate that Amy Pascal, who's been in the game a long time, might feel that way. Also, uh, was in the bathroom at the same time as she was at the Golden Globes. Felt real good about that. Um, And Greta Gerwig's statement that she released uh, with regard to the Oscar nominations is so... It's indicative of what you're saying. It's indicative of those expectations, and yet... can we, it's it's a long statement. I don't mm-hmm. think we can read all of it. But can can you just point out your favorite part? My favorite part is, I hope Our Little Women does for another generation of girls and women what it did for me. Lights a fire to write your book, make your movie, sing your verse. From all of us little women and men, thank you to the Academy. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's a great and pointed statement, mm-hmm. right? Uh, she has kind of accepted her place in the ongoing march, pardon the pun, right? 
she's like, it's not, the needle is not going to move this time uh, or it's moved this much, right? That's right. Because uh, my favorite part is almost the mirror image of that at the beginning of the statement. She says, this film of Little Women has been over 30 years in the making from the first time Louisa May Alcott and Joe March reached across time and space and made me believe I could be a writer and creator. Every single person who worked on this film poured their heart and soul into it, and we're all so grateful to the Academy for recognizing the collective effort, Mm -hmm. i.e. the Best Picture nomination. That's right. Which involves everybody's effort. Yes. Hers most of all. Correct. Longest. Uh Uh-huh. And most. Uh Uh-huh. And she's so generous about it. Mm -hmm. She's so gracious. Yeah. And yeah, you're right. With that last sentence of, I hope that it does for another generation of girls and women what it did for me, lights a fire. I mean, it's very nice, but it's also like, yeah, it's just very clear. We're not done. Yeah. And I will say here that as much as we love Greta Gerwig, she is in comparison to a Melina Matsukas or a Lulu Wong in a much better position. Let's face it. And this is not, I mean, I'm not taking anything away from her, but we understand that different people start at different points of a race line. And for the Lulu Wongs of the world, for the Melina Matsukas of the world, they don't know where their next job is coming from in a way that Greta does. Absolutely. She is a, a household name, household director. Yeah. Um, and yeah, she will work as a director again. Absolutely. I want to put an asterisk there that I want to come back to. But your point is exactly right. Those yeah. other women... Even uh, Marielle Heller, who directed A Beautiful Day in the Neighborhood, yeah. and Laureen Scarferia, uh, nobody else knows their name, or they're not going to be uh, guests on Jimmy Kimmel yeah. in the way that Greta Gerwig is a standalone. That's right. There's an aura around Greta Gerwig that appeals to that Palm Springs Oscar voter, you know, the older person, white male, 70 to 80 years old, who is quite charmed by her. Um, talent and her hustle, who and those people don't, they're not paying attention to the Lulus and the Molinas. Greta also, has Greta has much more opportunity and choice ahead of her. And partly that's because she came up as an actress, mm-hmm. right? Like that she had that, um, you know, the ability to uh, chat with people, to be amenable, all those she things. She wasn't a or... girl at one point. Absolutely, yeah. she was. Yes. So not taking anything away from her, it just, when we look at the full picture and the full spectrum of inequality and a lack of being taken seriously by certain people um, for, female filmmaker, for female filmmakers, Greta still is at an advantage that many don't have. Yeah, or looking at it a different way, we just listed five women, five directors who were snubbed and ignored, and one of them knows for sure that she will have work in the morning. How's that? Yeah. And here's one more, though. Here's one more, and her name is Alma Harrell, mm-hmm. director of Honey Boy, which was uh, Shia LaBeouf's screenplay right. about his life and his dad. And 
this is also one of the best uh, movies of the year, highly acclaimed. People were hoping that it would come in for maybe a screenplay nomination. Um, it did not get its due. And she has been very vocal on Twitter about awards and what they mean and what they can do. And her tweet after the Oscar nominations came out was as follows. The status quo relies on women and underrepresented filmmakers continuing to play a game they can't win. Change the game. That is the most radical way of doing it. That's revolution over reform. Mm-hmm. Um, but we have seen it happening and we've discussed it happening a little bit in the music industry where there are artists like Frank Ocean who are abs- just abstaining from being nominated. They're not even submitting. Now, Hollywood is run in an entirely different way with studios and executives that make this a habit. And so I don't know that there's at any point soon going to be a Frank Ocean equivalent at the Oscars where it is at the where it is at the Grammys. No, the difference being that uh, Frank Ocean is at the end of the day Frank Ocean and uh, has a certain amount of say over what Frank Ocean products get to do, right? But yeah. any of these films that we're talking about, no matter how big the auteur, are, don't belong solely to that person, right? Yeah. They also belong to the studio, to the yeah. producers, the distributors, and all those people make that collective decision. Yeah. And yeah, even if you are super noble and don't care that much about recognition, there's a lot of other people who put money or time or whatever into this project who probably do. Well, look at Joaquin Phoenix, who really doesn't care, but is still there because he's beholden to the studio and all the people he worked with. And still cares because if he truly didn't care, I know, I know you're rolling your eyes, but if he he truly didn't care, (laughs) then he wouldn't be like sucking up to all these people to get into these particular films in particular. He's using the opportunity to tell everybody to go vegan, okay? Um, So, but again, as much as this suggestion from Alma Harrell might be unrealistic, that is in its simplest form the equivalent in film um, to the Grammys, what she's suggesting. Like a a very radical approach where where she says underrepresented filmmakers, women – don't play that game then. And I don't know how many, how many people have to come on board for it to be a, a trend, a thing. If you, and this is very, very philosophical, but you give the thing its value, right? It's the buy-in is from you. And from us. Like, yeah. let's be honest. We're going to watch it. We're going to do the thing. That's Absolutely. right. Absolutely. So we are participating in it too. But it has this cachet. It has this prestige because the people within that ecosystem are giving it that prestige. Yeah, I agree. But then when you make a thing, I mean, that's the challenge, right? And uh, it's sort of sitting here right in front of us in a way that is ominous. Like, I feel like we're in a film a bit ourselves. Mm -hmm. Like, that the onus to make the change is on people like us. We essentially have to start our own Oscars. And that was my big tweet of the day, which yeah. was not one fraction of Kathleen's. But I was like, let's do an Alterna Oscars like the Alterna prom in high school. Yeah. Um, which is everything you need to know about me, by the way. <laughs> um, but yeah, let's value different things. Um, I have a tweet from a writer who's primarily a TV writer named Monica Boletsky. 
And she wrote something really interesting in reaction to the nominations. Uh, She writes, my take is people of color or women's art is not thought of by the majority as intentional. It's thought of as instinctual. Therefore, awards are often considered for non-technical personal authorship, writing over directing, and under-nominated for acting when it can be seen as natural, not craft. It's also my belief, she goes on, this is why most greenlit creations by women or people of color are autobiographical. Total fiction requires gatekeepers to take a greater leap of trust with an artist's intention and vision. This institutional bias equals why auteurs are crowned on few underrepresented artists. Mm-hmm. Right? Yeah. In short, um, we will allow a woman to tell a story of a woman kind of like her. Right? Yep. Oh, I'm going to tell a story about a girl growing up in uh, Sacramento, for example. Yeah. And then when it's great, we're like, well, that wasn't hard. Yeah. Because she lived it. She knows it. Whatever. Right? Yeah. And they don't let women direct the the big mobster gangster movies. Yeah. Right? There's a whole movement to get women directing more… Um, Superhero movies. Yeah. Big more budget tentpoles. Exactly. Yeah. Um, so they don't get to direct them. And then when we go, oh yeah, those probably are outside most people's experiences. There probably is some, uh, you know, imagination involved in most people's experience. It's those men, those white men. Congratulations to those men. Congratulations (laughs) to those men who got the opportunity to get there. And again, like, let's super shout out the people like Taika Waititi mm-hmm. or, or like Bong who get to break those barriers yeah. on some level and break through. But yeah, you see it over and over again that it's like, well, it was a nice movie, but it just, it wasn't very hard for them. Agreed. Agreed. And listen, I think that that's, this is, uh, I mean, to get real deep, it is conditioning. It's obviously artistic, misogynistic conditioning. You know, I've had many conversations with people over the last couple of weeks about Little Women in discussing this because, you know, there are all this, all these statistics that have come out, like um, only 30% of the audience of Little Women is men and should more men be encouraged to go see the movie? And there are some women who are like, no, I mean, why should we encourage men to go, everybody just see what they want? And they're missing that point about when art is taken seriously and who is the gatekeeper of prestige art and who gets to be the tastemaker. And this is one of those examples. Like, sure, we are maybe one day going to get to the place where the Oscars don't matter, but right now they do because they get to decide who is even labeled an auteur. Like, to this day, Ava DuVernay is not widely called and referred to as an auteur. Mm-hmm. Why the fuck not? And we were having the same conversation about Ava circa the Emmys, right? Because When They See Us was treated with similar, uh, if not disdain, then sort of yeah. like also randness, yeah. right? And uh, I, I hear you and I agree with you. Yeah, these, these do matter right now. But the other thing we say all the time is, oh, old white male Oscar voters, And part of what is on us to do is to create other sort of value systems so that when those people are no longer um, voting members, if we will, 
that there are other places to get that significance. Does that make sense? Yep. Um, here's my tiny pitch for what I'm going to do in the meantime until we, like, hang up these mics and decide if we can start the, like, the Alterna Oscars. Um, you'll notice something about the way that the Academy announces certain awards, right? So Scarlett Johansson is nominated. It's Scarlett Johansson for Jojo Rabbit, they'll say, right? Or uh, it's uh, whatever. Give me another one. Tom Hanks for… A Beautiful Day in the Neighborhood. Sure, yeah. fine. And then when it's nominations for uh, Best Director, it's Martin Scorsese for… The Irishman, or Quentin Tarantino for Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, or very pointedly not Lorraine Scarferia for Hustlers, or similar, right? Yeah. But I always, as you know, am paying attention to uh, the writers in the writing category, because that's my little corner of the world. That's where Mm -hmm. I pay attention. So there are 10 films given writing nominations over two categories, Best Original and Best Adapted Screenplay. And there are one and one half women nominated, which is to say Greta Gerwig is nominated for Best Adapted Screenplay. And um, Christy, uh, I hope I say your name right, Christy Wilson-Cairns is nominated with Sam Mendes. Together they wrote 1917. Right. But we don't announce those nominations those ways. We don't say, Best Adapted Screenplay, Greta Gerwig, for Little Women. Right. We say, Best Adapted Screenplay, Little Women. Ah. Best Original Screenplay, 1917. Instead, I'm going to start saying, Christy Wilson Cairns and Sam Mendes for 1917. Right. Right? There are, you had that stat earlier uh, or did you say it before we started recording about uh, the Academy saying there were 60... 62 women nominated this year? First of all, guys, if you have to count it out. <laughs> right. And then let's remove 10 women from the acting categories, not because they're not great, but... They have we, to be there. This, I'm saying. Yeah. <laughs> or nine, I suppose, since Scarlett Johansson is double dutying, right? Yes. So, fine. 62. And then... Um, one and one half women with 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 apologies to uh Christy with to with apologies to Christy Wilson Cairns for referring to you as a half woman but you know why I'm saying that yeah that means that the vast majority of the rest of the women who are nominated are nominated in non high profile non televised categories right right and that doesn't do dick to get their profiles Mm -hmm. hired to tell their own stories. That's not to say that editors and authors and and directors of shorts and, you know, costume people and choreographers and all those people aren't also telling their stories. But you keep using the word auteur, and we are looking for people who can do this from front to back. Yeah. Many, 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 many more women can do than we are hearing about. Mm -hmm. So I'm going to start yelling about the ones who are right there in front of our faces, but who aren't being announced that way. That's my one small thing. My one small thing is we spent a lot of time last year talking about Ruth Carter. Yes. Costume designer for um, Black Panther. We talked about her work, how 
specialized it was, the research that had to go in there. Mm-hmm. I mean, the expertise that had to go into crafting the wardrobe for a film like this. Right. To both have something historic and mm-hmm. create a whole new world all at once. This year, the film that she could have been nominated for but was not because the movie was shut out completely, Dolomite is my name. Oh, I mean, of course, Ruth costumed it a lot. But I mean, of course, Ruth costume designed that film. You and I love that film. Love. It was so funny. It had so much to say. It was visually explosive. The dialogue was amazing. The acting was amazing. The pacing was great. Uh, it was, <laughs> it was, uh, I don't even think they saw it. <laughs> they had to not see it. Yeah. Or they don't give anything credit if you can see it on Netflix. There's less value or something. Or to go back to your earlier point, oh, of course Eddie Murphy would know about that world. Of course. Right? And this is a really gross thing to us. First of all, I mean, I don't like to say that because it's, it's a very biased statement coming out of my mouth. I'm trying to interpret why they would have ignored it. And that is like the prejudice coming out from that assumption is, of course, he'd be good at that. Of course, they'd be good at that. Of course, she could dress that way. Of course, she could pick the clothes. And it's just so gross and wrong. Of course. But your point is exactly right, that people look at it and go, well, that's not a stretch. Uh, Yeah. 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 That's not a stretch. Oh, so it was a fucking stretch for Quentin Tarantino's costume designer to imagine a him to imagine a world that he's been obsessed with his whole life? Right? He goes, I mean, we all know from the beginning of Quentin Tarantino, he worked at a video store. You know this, right? It's the lore. I've heard, yes, sections of this. Yes. He worked at a video store. He loves Hollywood. He knows LA so well. He is obsessed with Hollywood. You could argue that every one of his films is about Hollywood, about LA, about a certain time, about a certain era, about how it smelled. So was it a fucking stretch for him? I mean, if he was making a film about what he knew and what he grew up knowing and a, a certain time, a snapshot, and Eddie Murphy really essentially does the same thing, why is one film the top nom- one of the top nominated films of the year and the other a complete, a complete washout? I mean, you know the answer. I do. Uh, well, aside from that, though, aside from our assumptions about uh, who sees what movie and who can see themselves in what uh-huh. movie, right? The other part of this is that uh, Academy voters are craftspeople, right? That is a thing that's true. They are actors, they're directors and writers and, and all those things. Yeah. And they see themselves, they want to see themselves where in a world where they could play. Yeah. Oh, I would love to cut that film uh, I, that Quentin Tarantino, those action sequences, those would be amazing. I would have loved to, I, I don't know, create those battle costumes. I have no idea. Or if you're a ballistics expert or right. whatever, right? For 1917. Again, we're not trying to pick on the movies that were that were nominated. A lot of them are great achievements. They're just not great achievements to the exclusion of the ones that are seen as less good, right? right. Um, So I think that's part of why, is that people see themselves in what would be so cool. Yeah. And 
that sort of is their fantasy. Will Quentin hire me if I vote for him is, yeah. is not always that far from people's minds. No, not at all. I have to tell you one thing, though. You said, my one thing I'm going to do yeah. about Ruth Carter. Yeah. And I don't know if you finished the, the mission statement. You're right. So my thing that I'm going to do is keep talking about Ruth Carter. We've talked about her last year, Black Panther. She was the costume designer for Dolomite Is My Name. She's going to have more projects to work for, work on. And I think the point is, is if we're going to make these people stars, we're going to make these people stars. Any chance we can get to talk about Ruth Carter, to talk about the screenplay and who wrote it and announce it that way, that's what we should do. I love that. And I think it can have surprising ripple after effects. The one thing I will say while I'm being Mary Sunshine about starting our own Oscars or other methods of recognition is that, as we know from all the news, the the ripple and the rebellion can be louder than the insult in the first place. What I'm thinking about is uh, something we've talked about uh, a, a while ago. There was a variety writers panel mm. uh, being held in L.A., that happened to have an all-white male panel, or certainly an all-male panel. There was not a single woman on that panel. And Liz Hanna, who's a screenwriter who's most famous for The Post, but has other huge things in the hopper, was like, as if, and put together two massive panels of female screenwriters and primarily showrunners, because it was kind of a TV-based event, that people are still talking about, that people are still clipping, that people are still sending around. I don't know who was on that panel originally for Variety, and sorry to those men, Yeah, but it's the Liz <laughs> Hanna panel that she made because she was pissed off that is still reverberating now, and that signal boosted everybody involved. So I really do think we can do this. If you are like an angel investor, call us. We can make something happen. And you know what else? Like, I thought I was done, but I'm not done. Before we leave this, can I just say one other thing? Tell me again that that statement again from the the Honey Boy uh, director. Oh, change the game. Change the game because she said, because the, what was it? Yeah. The, the, the status quo is not going to change if underrepresented women um, and filmmakers continue to like basically participate because, in the system. Yeah. Because this is why the system fucks them. They are told, they being women, we, let's go ahead and say it. We are told, no, you can't tell the bigger stories. You can't tell the big high profile stories that get all the attention the mob stories, the war stories, the whatever. Uh, tell your little stories about, uh, you know, sweet romances and life and whatever. And then when they fucking tell them to the best of their goddamn abilities, then they're told those aren't important enough to get any attention. You don't even get to play in our sandbox. I mean, it just over and over again, it, it riles you up. And I say you and we and whatever. Um, and I just saw this quote from Florence Pugh that is even saltier and therefore even better than the last one, if I may. Are you ready? Yep. She says, uh, when asked about, you know, the whole thing, I'm happy that everybody is upset. It's great when you don't need to point out the obvious. 
As Greta has said before, it's been a great year for female creators, and I hope this encourages a larger conversation. This is literally why Greta made the film. One about women living in a man's world related to money and success, and this news only highlights the message of the film. Mic drop. Right? Yeah. Like, let's hear it for Florence Pugh again. And for Greta, for being prescient or just reflectory in the film where, you know, Joe is talking to the publisher and she's like, uh, publisher milk, it's a good story. And he only comes back to her when, oh, he didn't get it, but his daughters did. He didn't get it, but his daughters did. He Thanks, says, motherfucker. we'll pay 25 to 30 for stuff like this, but for you, we'll give you 20. Yeah. Um, he says he won't publish it unless the main character gets married at the end. She is constantly making concessions Mm -hmm. through the movie in order to have a measure of success in a man's world. What was published the same year as Little Women? Do you know? No. No, of course you don't know. You know why? (laughs) It hasn't fucking endured the same way. Yeah. She had to, like, cut down a nickel and dime herself to get the story out there into the world, and it's resonated for goddamn 150 years, and it's still not good enough. No. Change the game. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. So you know what I kept thinking about all week? Tell me. Last week uh, around this time or just before this time, when you and I were at the Golden Globes, Uh, We were sharing a room. We were talking about everything under the sun. Uh, I knew what you had eaten for each meal. You knew everything that I had spent money on in like the six-hour period, right? Mm -hmm. Like for those days, we live and breathe one another. And thank you, everybody, who really liked our our podcast. Uh, Among other things, I think the the part where we're breaking down what we're going to write about makes it clear why we do need to be in the same space at that time. Right? Yeah, Yasik. Um, but we're living and breathing every single minute together. Yep. And then uh, we came home and we went to our respective lives and jobs. It was like, peace out. Bye. Yeah, bye, as we do. <laughs> but then your week, uh, then I knew nothing about what was happening in your fucking week or your life because then you had one of your other roles as a, like a royal expert explode. This was the moment that you've been training for, that you're always training for. I know nothing about royals relative to uh, an expert like yourself, except what you yell at me for not knowing. It was just amazing to me that I could go from beat for beat being like, I know everything that's going on. I know the significance of every look, every move. We both know what this is. And then just watching you like a, uh, like you were the show that you were being like, "Uh uh-huh. 
what else did the royals do? What else did they say? It was just an amazing sort of flip-flop. Well, I wouldn't say, I mean, there are different ways to be royal experts. I don't know the fucking, like, title of the Duke of the whatever duchydom of the whatever. Okay, but… But the in terms of the politics and how things are being maneuvered in there as of the last, let's call it, decade, um, I've been lucky enough to build up some sources and people to talk to, and yes, so this there is, me is some you're insight. To. You don't right. have to be coy. Well, you know, there are some people out there who'll be like, "She's not a royal expert." And no, I know that you don't I'm not know. A biographer. No, and I know that you don't know which China was given to which, like <laughs> exactly family, whatever. Sure, and but we have people for yeah. that. Um, who do, yeah. and we love them, but that's not what this is. This is the biggest royal story of a generation. Like, I mean, since Diana's passing. You came home and had a bit of a week. Yeah, I came, like, I mean, we came home from the Golden Glows, and it was already, like, you know, we came off the new year. We went right into Golden Globes, right? There was, like, no rest. We traveled on January 2nd. Yeah. Um, and, and then I came home, uh, presumably to come back to regular life, like TV shows, writing the blog, and then boom, Megan and Harry drop a bombshell. So this is, uh, absolutely revolution, not reformation, right? It is. And it's, I know it's big when you care. Oh, you're exactly <laughs> right. Um, because- like you cared from the moment it dropped and you were like, where's the baby? Oh my God, is the baby getting kidnapped? Your preoccupation <laughs> for about 48 hours, I think, was whether or not they left the baby in British Columbia because there's some old, like archaic fucking thing that- Well, don't step on my one piece of information that I <laughs> there have. There you go, yeah. First of all, um, I care precisely for the reason that I don't usually care about royal stuff. This is burning the playbook. This is, uh, yeah, uh, it's revolution or, uh, to use the colloquial phrase, speaking of viral things as we were earlier, this is fuck it up, Renee. Uh, that may or may not be a usage exclusive to Reddit. I'll find out. Um, but this is people going, we're not going to play by the rules and watch us, watch us screw with this. And that's what I love so much about it. So yes, um, my one thing that I was fascinated by and the one little tidbit that I found out was, uh, that yeah, they returned to the UK, um, without baby Archie, right? He was, uh, yes, he was back in Canada where he had been, you know, through their their Christmas and New Year trip. Yeah. And that seemed like an interesting choice to me. And then I found that there is, in fact, an old archaic statute. It was enacted 300 years ago. Yeah. That the queen, or pardon me, the monarch, like whoever's on the throne at yeah. the time, has legal custody of any minor grandchildren. Or I guess in this case, great-grandchildren. Right. Is your mind not blown? It is blown in the sense of like that that is still on paper. It's as people said, like it would never be of actioned, of course. But to even, but the the fact that like it exists. But I mean, look though, we say of course, like that it would never be actioned, of course, but there's never been a situation like this. No. And I, I think what you're trying to laugh about is that uh, 
there's no speculation that they were actually worried that he um that he would be, you know, kidnapped like something out of a fairy story. Yeah. But but they, you know, there's something, right? They I guess maybe let's start at the beginning. Does the fact that they did not return with him to the UK indicate that they knew on some level this was going down this week? I don't think so. I think they thought it would happen eventually, that they had put certain things into motion. But I definitely, um, all signs point to the fact that their plans were expedited from the leaks. So they returned to the UK, they made a visit to Canada House, and then the next day, a tabloid newspaper publishes that they will be making moves to move to Canada. And that was definitely a leak. It was a breach. Right. And so for them, they were like, well, shit, we need to control our story. Clearly, the people inside who were supposed to keep this secret are not keeping our secret. So boom, we're going. But just to, I I sat here wanting to make you my expert and now I'm immediately counterpointing. But if- Of course you are. Of course I am. But if they had not known this was going to break and they had the baby at home with them- Yeah. It could have been risky in the sense that we all know that Megan uh, is the is the favorite target of the press, yeah. right? They could have been concerned for him on some level. Otherwise, why? Why? Well, it's about turning around a trip like that short for a little baby, disrupting the schedule. Look, I've never been a mother, but I do know enough of you who are where you know, you are um, taking the baby who's so young on to a nine-hour time difference only for a period of like three or four days. It's a lot of disruption. But then I guess that begets the next question. Why, if this was not supposed to drop, was it going to be only a three to four-day trip? She doesn't want to be there anymore. Mm -hmm. So she was going to return to Canada and Prince Harry was going to always going to stay and work some stuff out. Plus he has a public engagement this week. He has to go, I think, to some rugby match um, and then rejoin the family. And they were going to spend more time there and again, like put the the plan into action. But the announcement, the official confirmation, the Instagram post being like, hey, we're out. (laughs) That was, that was uh, definitely not the plan. But what I love about what you just said, and now we're back in my favorite place, is whether or not it was the plan. Fine. It wasn't the plan for it to drop last week, but it worked in their favor. Oh, it did. But also, they were out. Like, regardless of whether or not the announcement is made, Mm -hmm. I'm going to be in the mountains for the foreseeable future. I'll see you when I see you, she says. Like, she was already out. He was already out before... Yeah. They, their minds were made up, is the point. Their minds were made up. There are certainly conspiracy theorists out there who are like, oh, they engineered this whole thing. They um, made the leak happen so that they could drop their announcement. I think that that is, sure, like I like a, a conspiracy theory as much as the, the next person. It's just not very, to rely on a, a leak going the way you want it to is like a, a risk that I don't think they would take. Well, what would be the benefit though of, of rely, like what would be the benefit of doing it this way on purpose? Like why? Yeah. I don't know. I mean, if you are a conspiracy theorist, a theorist out there, then 
you're only judging this by like a hindsight perspective, right? In the moment before you know that the leak's going to break and it's going to break and, and turn this way in your favor, you're still staring down something pretty precarious. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, you said it turned out in their favor. I assume you mean because of public opinion. No, I mean, they. this is a family that works ploddingly, right? Plodding, as in slowly. Right. By Not, design, right? By design and just by who they are. Like, traditionalists don't move quickly. <laughs> like, it is, it's an oxymoron. Right. To say that traditionalists, people who, you know, maintain the status quo, want to change and can change quickly. We just talked about the Academy. We just talked about, you know, Oscar's so white and how many years we've been talking about this and we're back at the same place. So institutions do not evolve at any pace. So, of course, it was always going to be a long, drawn-out process. Or at least the institution would not have wanted to consider this one and done in the period of, what, fucking three weeks, not even. Right. They Think would have about it. Planted small. That's right. Yeah. Even if the initial conversation between Harry and Charles and the Queen happened, let's call it in November, they would have been like, okay, can we just take our time with this? Let's like get some research and talk to people and take some time. And then six months goes by. And there's a million engagements and people yeah. are busy and they don't get to talking about it again until whatever. Again, they don't operate this quickly. The fact that the Queen has now released a statement being like, we had a family summit and this is what Harry and Meghan want. And I don't really want that, but I want to respect their wishes. And so I've agreed in the space of generously three weeks, but probably not even. two. It's, it's days. It's been a week since the news yeah, dropped. That is not them. So... What I'm saying is, given that um, Harry knows how his family operates, this definitely worked out in their favor, that this happened so quickly, but no one would have anticipated it. Got it. So let's start there then, because you're right. This is certainly the most we've heard, and the most things have changed in the royal family since, since the death of Diana. Right? In yeah. terms of there being uh, almost daily dispatches or like substantial news that was coming out every day as opposed to just regurgitated thoughts and yeah. opinions and whatnot. In your opinion, it is Monday as we are recording this and yeah, the Queen's statement about, well, I guess it is what it is, uh, has come out. Right? Yep. In your opinion, is it done? Are there more statements to come from the palace, from Harry and Meghan? Is there, what else is to be uh, dealt out in the next, call it, seven days? Well, even, as you just said, even what we've seen in the last few days has been unprecedented. Like, even before the summit, they announced that there would be a summit. Like, it was a family meeting, right? Essentially, it's their private family business. Like, not business as in the economy of it, but their own family matters. And this family doesn't fucking publicize their fucking, like, family matters. It's like on Succession. It's yeah. literally them sitting around thinking about who's going to fall on the yes. sword on Succession. And they still, in advance of the summit, told us about the summit. Even that in and of itself is not usual for them. So already we're seeing new shit happening day by day. So when you ask me what's next, fuck it. Who knows? Like, the Queen in her most recent statement, the one released today, was like, there are so many still complicated issues to discuss, but I'm asking 
people to put it together and have it done in the coming days. So she's saying days, not weeks, not months, but he is a, he's a dignitary. So wherever they move, Canada, obviously governments have to be involved. Like you have to at least give the Canadian government a courtesy call being like, hey, yo, I'm moving to your land. Heads up. Yeah, heads up. You can't have a foreign dignitary come to your country without your government knowing about it, right? The sure. end. Period. At basic. Then there's all the money shit. Like, it, what's funny is that they now, at whatever, 37 and 35, have to figure out, like, a living. Well, okay, let's talk about that. Because the Queen's statement says, and uh, what's most notable to me is that it's a paragraph of its own. Yeah. There's nothing more fucking salty in general yeah. than a one-sentence paragraph. Yes. Right? I overuse them in my own writing. I fucking love them. Yeah. But when it comes from the Queen, then you're like, okay. Harry and Meghan, no, not the Sussexes Uh or like uh, my grandson and his wife or whatever, right? Or no HRHs. Nope. Yeah. Harry and Meghan have made clear that they do not want to be reliant on public funds in their new lives. Oh my God. I am dying. I am dying. And you know why? There's 17 different reasons. First of all, these people hate talking about money. If it's one thing, like it's upstairs, downstairs, right? Like that's how you differentiate class. People who are low class, we talk about money all the time. In fact, we're much more comfortable talking about money. People who don't have money talk about money a lot. People who have all the money never talk about money. They were the ones who decided that it was poor etiquette to talk about money. Because the people upstairs are getting the money from the people downstairs. That's why. And they don't want the people downstairs asking them for the fucking money. Anyway… For her, the sovereign, to write a letter to the people talking about money, it is mortifyingly mortifying. Like, imagine how much that must have killed the pearl clutchers to read about the monarch having to write a sentence about or sign off on a sentence about fucking funds. It's also just so, like, in their new lives. Like, that, even that phrase is a major fucking concession. Yeah. Isn't it? Yeah. Their new lives. They're giving it up. They are hanging up the hats. Yeah. They've made it clear that they don't want an allowance. All right. Let's see how they do. Like, it's literally like, do you need money? No, (laughs) grandma, I don't need money. It's, it's amazing. Harry and Meghan have made clear. It's, I'm flabbergasted. Yeah. So I would actually say that I think some of a particular brand of skeptic find the uh, public money or lack thereof thing to be the hardest pill to swallow here. How are they going to do it? Yeah. How are they going to do it? Well, I'm asking you. I mean, I, my uh, layman's like pick things up from you and whatever is like he has an inheritance, which is private yeah. Mon- money, right? He has an inheritance from his mother, right. for sure. Yes. So that is, you know, that's her, that was her money. Mm-hmm. He gets it as 50, at least 50% of it, right? Because she had two children. Yeah. Whatever is his portion, yeah. he has. And that is not like funded by the taxpayer. Right. That's it's, his mother's money. He gets it. It's free and clear, that's essentially. Right. That's right. However, their lifestyle is not ours. Like, we could live off that inheritance, but they can't. Right. But And let's conservatively say, I, I have no idea how much 
money Meghan Markle went into this marriage with, or even if I'm sure she had to declare it or whatever. Not that much. Not that much. Like, let's be, if she did some great investing, and we're talking basically about her suits money, yeah. essentially. Five million. That's exactly what I think. Yeah. Give or take an investment yeah. or endorsements or whatever. Yeah. That's exactly what I think. It's it's change. For relative people to like him. that. Yes. yes. Pardon my, yes. Yeah. But most, uh, but again, to reference succession twice in five minutes, uh, it's it's not enough to live the way they've been living on. Oh, God, no. That said. Yeah. He could write a book tomorrow for. They could set a record, a publishing record for a book. Off the top of your head, how much did Brock get for his? Listen, millions and millions. And I think Meghan and Harry could obliterate that record. I Easily. Yeah. Um, it, they could write 10 million per book and there's, I, I have yeah. five or six that yeah. I think they could write tomorrow. Yeah. Right? And it could be, like, they could write, they could set a record and it wouldn't even have to be that much writing. It would be like, here's a picture of us on our first date. Boom. Oh, there's that book. Yeah. There's the Harry, like, up till the day my childhood ended book, right? There's yeah. that book, Me and My Mother. Yeah. <laughs> there's the uh, My Life in the Army When I Got to Be Anonymous. Yeah. That's a book. That. There's the uh, Here's Our Lives Together on Our First Date, yeah. as you point out. There's that book. Yeah. You know, there's her uh, What I've Learned Inside the Castle and Why I'm Leaving It Behind. Yeah. Like, memoir, that Michelle Obama and book. listen… Probably those books aren't right for them to write right now. Like, it's a little… I don't think they have to go there yet. I think that there are many money-making opportunities that they can take without having to go kind of like, you know, pulling back the curtain and let me give you my, um, you know, mommy, daddy, dearest tell-all. Well, it's interesting because… It's interesting for me to say this because I've written a book, you've written a book, I'm not trying to malign those who write books, but you're right in that a a book for somebody who is of that level of fame mm-hmm. is often very clearly exactly what it is, which is a a way to make money. Yeah. Um, and you're suggesting to me that they have other means, not just yeah. to survive. We're not just talking about survive yeah. or maintain your lifestyle. Like they're not stupid and no. they've been exposed to just about everything. If they're doing this, they're doing it on some level, not just to escape the royal life, but because they believe they can thrive. Yeah. So what is your gut? What do they, what do you think they're going to do for a job? I think they, well, he already, already has like a partnership with Oprah mm-hmm. where they're working. <laughs> I know. Where they're I working can't. on, exactly. Where they're working on a, a, a doc together for, in support of his causes. So it's environmental, it's social justice. Um, and already he's like in partnership on like production. Okay. But again, that's still a one-off in the sense that a documentary is like a book. It's a one-time paycheck project, right? Right. But they could extend that, form the production company and get things going and produce films and produce documentaries themselves, this, that, and the other. That's easy. Sure. That is the Obama model. That is the Obama model. And again, that Obama's first film has been nominated for an Oscar. Of course. What about, do you think that they can start, like actually start and sustain, can they sustain a charity, an NGO? Like those were conversations that were 
uh, at one point, maybe back when they did their documentary with uh, with your bro, whose name I can't remember. I say your bro just because you Tom like Bradby. what he says. That's yeah. the one. Yeah. Um, there were inferences that that would be in their future. Do you think that they can start a foundation that is not just a foundation in name only, that is actually a sustainable thing? I think they can. I mean, I think that you have two superstar recruiters. And so they can take a meeting and get a meeting with almost anybody in the world, right? Right. If, they're, you, if they're looking for investment money, who's going to say no to that meeting? Even though you are a billionaire and, oh, uh, I don't know, so-and-so wants to set up a meeting with you and Prince Harry, nobody's going to say no to the… The curiosity factor alone is going to get them in the door. So, yeah, they're going to get tons of meetings and through all those meetings, they're superstars. They will be able to attract the investment. But does that, even that, if that's for a nonprofit, how does that support their lifestyle? Well, here's what's interesting about the lifestyle. I, I don't know. I mean, I obviously, uh, in endemic, obviously intrinsic in their life is a lot of travel, right? Like yeah. that's not going anywhere. No. They like their style and so forth. And they have a lot of friends. Like that's a known sort of characteristic of them that you don't hear about with the other royals as much, right? That they have sort of lots of friends in far-flung places. So they want to see them and do things with them and travel with them, right? Yeah. So that is like, that's not an inexpensive hobby or habit. Mm-hmm. But what are we talking about? What is the lifestyle that $5 million a year can't support? What is it that you think might be lost? Like how they've been living now? Yeah. Or like if you're saying, is that going to sustain their lifestyle? What's the thing where you're like, this price tag is too big for what we're talking about? It's the privacy, right? The ability to move around pretty much undisturbed. Keep talking. So let's take it back to celebrity. Yep. Tom Cruise can go missing, not missing, but <laughs> undetected for months because it's round-the-clock security, private jet travel, going in and out of the most exclusive routes only when you have the resources to get through that back door or that underground entrance. And a home in every in That's every right. place that you can be, right? And, that you can hold up. And in those homes, those homes are behind gates. Mm-hmm. Like they're not living in a, like a walk-up. Right. Or he's not living in a walk-up. Right, right, or right. he might be living out of hotels, but the whole, the, the, the point stands. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So for them, they are probably now the most famous couple in the world. Yeah. Yeah. Agreed. Recognizable everywhere mm-hmm. with a small child. Mm-hmm. Um. Their lives are of value to, you know, the government. Yes, of course. Yeah, there's a there's a So they do need to, to be them. protected. Right. And they do need to live in a space that, given those parameters, is going to be expensive. I, yeah, but I mean, you can have a fortress in, you know, the West Coast has been bandied around a lot, yeah. right? Vancouver comes up a lot. Yeah. You used to live there. Um, how much is a fortress in Vancouver? 15 million? Sure. Okay. Yeah. How, around the clock security times however many people. Lots. I, it, sure, lots. But yeah. like, what do we, what's a dollar figure? Is it 3 million a year? 
$1.7 million they're estimating for that kind of security and protection. Okay. So $2 million a year in security and protection. Uh-huh. And they haven't eaten yet. No. And they haven't gone anywhere yet. That's Plus, already four times what Megan's, our estimated value of Megan's net worth. Right. Or if we go with, uh, you know, based on what I've heard about Harry's inheritance, yeah, that's that's 15 years of security maybe or a $15 million home and uh, another seven years yeah. of security. My and math that's is one flagging. home. So they want to, if they want to maintain multiple homes, like they're still going to, their hope is to still maintain their UK home. So if they're not going to take public money, it's still multiple residences, right? We've just accounted for the one residence on the West Coast of Canada. They're, so if they maintain their UK residence, they still have to pay into whatever that's that's worth. Right. And obviously, whatever, the travel, the this and that and the other. Right. And so, I mean, maybe there are assets we don't know about or something, but I see where where you're going here. And I get the question that's being raised about how are they going to maintain their lifestyle. But here's what's so interesting. And this is where dissecting the message is so much fun. Everything that you have said about how they might make money, and, uh, you know, again, without really getting into it, and people have said, oh, she'll go back to acting. Like hell, will she go back to acting? No fucking way. There's no way, because specifically what you just said is impossible on a film set. There's not, the, the security and the privacy does not exist on a film set, let alone having to negotiate with an actor or or with a director or writer or whoever about whether or not you would or wouldn't say or do these kinds of things. There's no way in hell. We agree on this? Yeah. But everything that you said about ways that they might maintain their lifestyle, uh, whether they start a a charitable organization or they, they... you know, uh, somebody told me they might get into like, you know, venture capital and sort of uh, tech and green tech and that kind of thing and those environmental products. They all really rely on Harry and Meghan trading on being Harry and Meghan. Mm-hmm. Isn't that right? Yeah. But that's, how is that, I guess what's interesting is that that is, that means that what they wanted to get away from in Britain, in the royal family, is not just the attention and the scrutiny of the press, because that's going to keep going. Yeah. Right? Yeah. So then, I mean, then that would indicate that if you're doing this entire revolution of uprooting your life, if you are throwing it all away, and the press scrutiny... And the places that you're going to put your face to work for you and what that means in terms of being available to other press is not going to be that different, right? The tabloid culture in the UK is insane and it won't be like that elsewhere, but they're not going to be hermits is what you're telling me, right? Then that means that they're not leaving the UK because of the tabloid attention and scrutiny. They're leaving the royal family because of the royal family. Oh, yeah. I think it's a lot of it is tied together. It's how members apparently of the royal family did or didn't support them. 
amidst all that coverage, but the cuts hurt more when they come from the inside. But that's rifts that cannot be fixed, Mm -hmm. right? It's not that they are tired of being those two public people. Is that true? Yeah. Like, you know, you said Tom Cruise goes underground for uh, months at a time, assumedly when he's tired of being Tom Cruise, right? Yeah. Of smiling and kissing babies and all the rest of it. But the life that you're suggesting for these guys means they're never going to be done being Harry and Meghan. No, it's not for a want of change of identity in the people who they are. It's more the constraints that the royal institution puts on their identity. Can you say that again for me? Like- so you're basically saying that they're leaving the royal family, but they're not, they're not leaving the royal family because they don't want to be themselves anymore or they don't want to be who they were in the royal family. They want to be more of who they are that the royal family wasn't letting them be. You know, this is a family where there are certain, oh, we talk about protocol all the fucking time, right? Protocol this, what's what you can't do, crossing your legs, nail polish, fucking pantyhose, whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, little boys can't wear pants. Right, right, right. Right? Yes. There's like, and and that is so restrictive by its very nature, restrictions restrict your identity. Yeah, absolutely they do. Because you have to be boxed into a certain protocol. So what they're escaping really is that set of rigid rules of what it means to be royal. Well, then fine. Can we just be us and unroyal? I mean, look, I... I, I That's what they're... I mean, mean, that's... Listen, that is what is being interpreted as what they want. I get it. And I I hear you. And it's like, yeah, we want to escape the protocols and the the P's and Q's of it all, right? But I can't help still seeing it as heartbreak of the people who love you most, mm-hmm. even though you have a job to do or whatever, that your family is like, yeah, no, sorry, there's no way around the aforementioned P's and Q's. I don't care how miserable you are. I don't care what it's done to your family. There's no way out. And so, like, they took the nuclear option. Yes. That's why everybody loves this story because everybody knows people who have or hates this story or hates this. Ah, it's good point. Yeah. Yeah. That everybody knows people who have had to cut off everybody that they knew Mm -hmm. in order to have a new life. Mm -hmm. Right. Everybody knows the story of, well, I had to forget everything I ever knew for my own freedom. Right? Everybody's heard of that story. Everybody's heard of that story. I don't know that everybody can relate to that story. No, I don't know. No. I don't know that everybody can relate to. And look, that's a good thing. I am lucky enough. I don't have that story. Yeah. I'm very grateful for that, that I can be who I am uh, in, in within my family of origin, right? To a certain extent. Um, but there are millions upon millions of people who, because their sexuality or their faith or their principles or their choice of partner or whatever it is, was such a restriction that they could no longer be who they were, Mm -hmm. that they had to pick up and leave, right? And to your point about why people don't like this story, those are the people who I'm projecting, but who say, well, 
There's nothing you can do about it. If you have a bad lot in life or if you have people who can't see you for who you are or love you for what you are, just deal with it. Just shove it down and deal with it. Or they're saying, how bad can this possibly be? Well, that too. Yeah. But I think that is most of it, in fact. I, I don't think… I think that what… The people who hate this story are the ones who are like, oh, I'm sorry, you have titles, you live um, on this like magnificent piece of land that's historic, and sometimes people say bad things about you. But on the flip side, up to this point, you haven't had to worry about your mortgage, you don't have to worry about putting your kid through school, you don't have to worry about all the things that regulars have to worry about. How bad can it be for you to, like, go nuclear, as you said? Yeah, I, I, I understand what you are saying and sort of what that hypothetical person is saying, but there's nothing in there about, like, about love, about feeling supported for who you are. And this is what, this is why this story is happening. Like, Will and Harry have been a fucking unit from the day Harry was born, right? Tossed between those two parents and then the tragedy and all the rest of it. It's like, no, but like, we're solid. Yeah. And then to go, no, I don't even have my brother. You know, you pointed out some some headlines to that effect, but that's the truth of it, right? That you said they didn't get enough support inside the family when the press was coming at them. Yeah. And like, but they didn't get support enough to go nuclear option. Mm -hmm. So the other thing that this brings me to is, uh, is their little boy. Yeah. I'm fascinated by what this may mean for the way that he grows up. Explain. I mean, look, uh, do you want the fantasy version or the real version? Always the fantasy. I, when we were talking about this first and hearing what was going to happen and they want to move to Canada and so forth, I kind of thought there's a world in which, depending on how, how much privacy they surround him with, and often people who are very much in the public eye are exceedingly protective of their children right? Um, there's a world in which he doesn't know for a long time that his parents are anybody that special. Mm -hmm. I, it's, it's Sleeping Beauty a little bit. Um, years, <laughs> I, years and years ago, uh, when Hayden Christensen and Rachel Bilson named their daughter Briar Rose, yeah. and we kind of rolled our eyes, uh, some readers wrote to me and pointed out that Briar Rose was the name that was given to the Princess Aurora so that she could live in the kingdom without people knowing that right. she was secretly the princess. Okay. Um, and so I started thinking about like Archie Briar Rose, like little Archie Markle going to some crunchy public school on Vancouver Island somewhere or something and uh, just not knowing for the longest time that... Uh, that his parents are and were unusual. And I was like, and, you know, Megan was a civilian, a commoner. She yeah. fits back into that life. Like, what does that look like for Harry? I just pictured, like, it's like Arthur Weasley. Like, imagine him going to a drugstore trying to buy Band-Aids or something, and he's just like, really? 
So there's just there's just 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 millions. You can just choose whichever ones you want. Like, okay, so that's the fantasy. That's the fantasy. That Archie is Sleeping Beauty. I I love my fantasy. Like a little, okay. like crunchy kid in a in an artisanally farmer's market sweater, which is not going to happen at all. What's the reality? I mean, here's the thing, though. I do think it is. There's a reason that this happened after their child was born. This is where, not to mom explain to you, but this is where perspectives shift or things like privacy or the ability to be oneself or whatnot become much more urgent. So they have to want some sort of a different life for him. Right? Right. So we know what it isn't. It isn't highly publicized first days at at primary school and like yeah. fake last names and all that kind of stuff. Yeah. Right? No. Nope. Um, so there's got to be some sort of sense of stability, normalcy. Um, again, we talked about they have all these friends. In theory, they want to create some sort of community for this kid, especially if they don't wind up having a ton more children, right? You yeah. don't want him to be more isolated. Um I, you know, I don't know. I, either way, I guess what I'm getting at is either way, they're going to have to tell him the story someday. Someday at six or 10 or 12, he's going to go, but you were a prince? Yeah, I was literally a prince. And you just up and left. Yeah, I up and left. Do I have an evil grandmother? (laughs) Like, What's the other side of that question? Man, I hope they don't have a kid like me because then I would be like, what the fuck? You were a prince and I could have grown up spending my Christmases in a castle and whatever with ponies. Fuck you. What did you do? Um, of course, Archie's not going to end up like that. Uh, but yeah, I think that I, I totally buy your hypothesis about how parenthood changes you especially when you've been staring down this fishbowl, one person for their entire lives, the other where it's like still shell-shocking to be joining a family and suddenly everything is on you and people are watching you and newspapers are calling you straight out of Compton and saying your ancestors like were cotton slaves or whatever. Yeah, you see it through new eyes. That's right. And you're like, how is my kid going to be treated if we continue in this lifestyle? Like what are the articles that are going to be written about him? Yeah, and you can rationalize, well, my spouse is a grown woman who made this choice, right? Even if she couldn't have imagined what yeah. it would be like. She she sort of made an adult choice. Yeah. But this, this baby didn't ask for that. No, and it can't have helped where, like, you know, around the time Archie was going to be born or maybe just after, there was, like, some cartoon or some radio person or whatever who joked that he was a monkey. Like, uh, uh, <laughs> exactly. So… If I'm them and I can see the look on your face and you are about to burst into tears. Yeah, because you know I'm as cold-hearted as the next person. But, like, this is the whole thing yeah. with children. They're not cold-hearted and they don't know why somebody does that. And it t- Like, who wants to see a kid build up That's that right. callus? So I think that for them, to your original point, when you become a parent, like, you see things differently. Your whole lens shifts. Mm-hmm. And after what they've been through and the targeted attacks that they've been getting from the media, they were like, shit, if we stay here or if we don't change up how the situation is, 
our kid is like when our kid is inevitably going to be photo- photographed and we have to take it out for, I don't know, some gun salute or some flyby or some waving at the castle. Yeah. When, you know, eventually you might not be able to stop those horrible pictures from coming out. And, uh, and it never stops is the thing. If you keep feeding the machine, it never stops. That's right. right. That's right. So, and I think it was like, just to clarify, it was Danny Baker and that person, he was a BBC host, by the way, mm-hmm. fired for sharing image of Archie, uh, sorry, fired for racist tweet comparing Archie Harrison to a chimp. Firing is, is not enough. I'm, I, I resent that we still know his name, but great. Okay. Thank you for telling us. Um, anyway... So, uh, yeah, if that happens, and that is, like, literally, like, right after the child was born. Like, the child is, like, so little. So for them, yeah, that must have been jarring. And if the allegations are true that they weren't getting support inside the palace, that, you know, their family members weren't there for them, for sure, this is a decision that you're going to make. That said, yeah. again, this story is so polarizing mm-hmm. because there are people who either don't understand how that would be unlivable, you know? Yeah, but yeah. I kind of don't care. Like, they don't – this is kind of the beauty of this whole move, or maybe this is where I'm naive, is they don't actually have to explain why it's so horrible. Um, although maybe you mean – to explain it to, you know, the people who are listening here. But I don't think, I I think we are preaching to the converted. I don't think anybody listening is like, oh, that sounds totally workable to me. Um, But yeah, you get the fuck out of Dodge and you don't have to explain yourself, especially because to round everything back around, they're going to walk away from the money in theory. But, or walk towards more money. Are they naive? Is there something here that they're not seeing? Or you said to me the reality of how they're going to raise that baby is going to be different than my crunchy public school dream? Well, no. I think that for our interest for this podcast is we talk about what to do like in a given dilemma, right? Reform versus revolution. To go back to, to link everything together. Reform versus, you know, reform or revolution. Do you go nuclear? When is it time to go nuclear? Frankly, you and I aren't exactly nuclear people. Uh, No, although like it only takes once, right? Yeah. Um, There are not very many. Sometimes there are, but there aren't very many instances where... um, you and I being like, we enjoy strategy. We enjoy sort of thinking of the moves and the way problem solving things. Mm -hmm. We enjoy trying to find a solution without tearing down the house. Sure. Um, They essentially are not either. They had run out of possibilities. Which seems like the case or. Yeah. Either or they're just like, no, no, fuck it. Yeah finding we don't want to spend our energy because sometimes at work mm-hmm. it's true spending the energy to find a workaround solution or to think of the next move that doesn't burn down down the house is maybe a waste of energy yeah i agree like it's or what's the 
what's <clears throat> the expression? It's arranging deck chairs on the Titanic. Yeah. Right? It's it's futile, ultimately. That's Whatever right. tiny change you make is not going to be a big impact. Yeah. But what they've done now, yes, is they've gone nuclear. Mm-hmm. I mean, this is a fuck off, everybody. This is the new way. The question is, is there an actual clear strategy mapped out? It would appear that some of it is mapped out, like they had that fucking website ready to go, and it was populated, quite populated with content. It seemed a bit hurried, frankly. Like, you know, it wasn't, like, not to get all weird and technical, but, like, there were some glitches and on, like, all of that. It was in beta, basically. Exactly. And so they clearly had to accelerate it after that leak. Um, When the Sun came out with their story, then they had to accelerate their original plans. But… You know, for them now, when you go nuclear, you still need like a post-nuclear, a post-apocalyptic roadmap. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. So what is the post-apocalyptic roadmap? Now the queen has given a somewhat transitionary period sign-off. And in that transitionary period, now is the work. They're drawing up an entire new game game plan. They're Alma Haral now. Change the game? Yeah, okay. Yeah. What's it look like? What's their… What is your word for it? Your alterna Oscars? Oh, yeah. Like, yeah. What's their alterna Oscars? Yeah. What's the life you never thought you were going to have to create? But beyond the opportunity, like, yes, they can sign a deal tomorrow. Yeah, she yeah, could yeah, sign need- a deal with a fucking French luxury company or whatever, quick $10 million yeah, to yeah, be the face yeah. of this and that and the other. It's not the actual change, the actual, like, funds going into the bank account, but the long-range plan, the sustainable roadmap. For not just their money, but their life, right? Their brand, their life. Yeah. They're like, look, uh, not for nothing, but are they, they're not welcome at Christmas anymore, I don't think. No. Um, you know, is, is like, does, uh, who gets the queen's fortune? Is Harry out of the will? Is Archie out of the will? Like, what does this mean for like, yeah, sort of their, their succession plan, if you will? It's. Yeah. It's a big, big, big undertaking. But this is, to me, this is what's exciting about it. Like, we get to watch this play out in real time. Because for better or for worse, as they actually said in their statement, we thank you and we'll basically rely on you for your continued support. So for them to be able to embark on this new life, as public figures, they need the public. Yeah, absolutely. Um, But also, I will watch forever because people who have the balls to throw it all away and go, well, 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 now we got to make it up. Um, I'm always, always here for that kind of working without a net. Um, It's just a quality that we don't see very often. As you point out, not just in royals or celebrities, we don't see it that often in people. It's very enthralling and compelling, and it makes me like them both more. I mean… I, of course, my interest in this is really purely the what will the game look like. Yeah. If they're redefining the rules of the game or completely opting out of the game altogether, getting the fuck off of this field and going to play on another field, then number one, yeah, what does even the field look like? Is it a round field now instead of a rectangular field? Like, it is so new… And they're doing it within an institution that hates the word new, or at least leaving an institution that hates the word new. And 
in like a, a society, really, like British society w- is advanced in many ways, but it's also fucking backwards in so many ways. But again, that's what makes it exciting. Knowing all those things that you say and going, yeah, let's do it anyway, that's, that's incredibly daring. And if they fall on their faces, whatever that looks like, they still had the, the bravery to try, which is better than the sitting back and, and hoping it all goes okay. Oh, they still have the here's my first date book. There's that too. <laughs> Good luck, Harry and Megan. Thanks for listening to what? The all adrenaline hour? Like we're so fired up and vibrating right now. Uh, to the all revolution or reform hour or two. Uh, just all revolution all the time. Um, subscribe to us wherever you get your podcasts continue to send us your notes on show your work on your work on the work of celebrities what your perspective is on the Oscars and on the royal family leave comments and reviews they help us so much and we'll be back next week thank you for loving our behind the scenes like we love the behind the scenes of Hollywood such as it is this week and keep showing your work imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt now imagine them getting even softer over time that's what you'll feel with bowl and branches organic cotton sheets in a recent customer survey 96 percent replied that bowl and branch sheets get softer with every wash start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come try their sheets with a 30 night guarantee plus get 15 percent off your first order at bowlandbranch.com code buttery exclusions apply see site for details